0: Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. This podcast is sponsored by the ASC Masterclass, a five-day seminar taught in Hollywood. Learn more at Theasc.com. So we're chatting with Fabian Wagner, BSC ASC, and Fabian, welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Really appreciate you doing it.
1: Thank you very much. It's great to be on here.
0: And I thought to start, it would be great uh, for you to just give us a little bit of, of the background on, on the how and the why that uh, director Zack Snyder and, and the producers, uh, you know, invited you into the project and, and what about it interested you, why you wanted to be part of the project. Of course, we're talking about the Justice League movie. Uh, as I understand it, um, you've been a pretty busy guy these days on, on Game of Thrones so, uh, and other things. So, you know, what were the circumstances that allowed this to work out for you?
1: You know that's a great question, and I actually have no idea. I um I had just finished uh, Game of Thrones, uh season six, and um, I had a phone call early in the year while I was back in the UK, saying that Zack Snyder wants to meet me, and I was I, I literally fell off my chair. Uh, I couldn't believe that Zack wanted to meet me. I've always been, you know, a fan of Zack's work. And also of Larry Fong's work, who's Zach's usual DP. So, you know, to be able to meet him was um, just really super exciting. I went down to London and uh, met Zach. And we had a, about a one-hour conversation where he told me about Justice League. And, you know, even then, I, I didn't expect to to actually end up shooting the movie. I mean, I... I've done some obviously some big TV stuff and, you know, I've done a couple of movies, but nothing of that scale. So, uh, to, you know, to suddenly be in the running for a movie like that was, you know, pretty incredible to me. And, uh, I I didn't think that I would actually end up shooting a movie, but it was obviously just for me, it was just great to meet Zach and have a chat. And, um, yeah, a few weeks later, after a few more interviews with Deborah Snyder, um, Chuck Rowan from Warner Brothers, and a few others. I was actually in LA for Game of Thrones for doing some coloring, and um, I had a phone call from my agent saying that they just offered me the job. And then I fell off the chair the second time.
0: And, and you know, you mentioned just sort of elaborating what you just said about you know you, you've done some very high-end broadcast work. You, you, you've done a couple other feature films, but but nothing of this scale of this size and. Uh, complexity and, and and sophistication all that kind of thing you know as you rolled into it and you, you sat down with the filmmakers about you know how this was going to go uh, you know what were some of the key issues or challenges that you knew you were gonna have to face um, key adjustments that you thought you might have to make from the way you would typically work on a game of Thrones and, and, and material like that to sort of get you uh, you know get the ball rolling and, and make sure that the scale the enormity of, of this didn't just sort of um bog you down or, or get in the way?
1: Well, I mean, you know, the good thing was that I when they offered me the job, they basically said you have to start straight away. And in a way that was kind of good because I didn't have time to think about it. I literally I flew back from LA uh, a couple of days after and um I came into the office on a Monday morning and I I got straight into prep. Zach was already in prep with um the rest of his crew, production designer and visual effects, everybody has already been there, so I just got thrown into into it, which you know I guess was a good thing because it just kept me very busy straight away from from day one that i didn't I didn't really have time to think about the enormity of the of the project I mean I did drive to i would say probably for the first eight to ten weeks I was driving to work every morning for prep, thinking this is. Insane. <laughs> they must have got the wrong number, but uh so you know, it was a great feeling. But you know, I just, I guess I can say that without getting, without sounding arrogant. You know, I, I've never really felt phased too much by stuff because I always just like to think about the project. I never really, you just don't think about the size at that moment. I'm, I was just enjoying every single day, thinking this is amazing to work with Zach and and work with um, the rest of the team. So,
0: And what was the sort of mission statement, uh, you know, for the visuals that, uh, that Zach gave you, um, you know, what was his agenda and, and sort of the aesthetic that, that he was thinking about?
1: Well, we, we talked about it obviously from, from day one, um, but really it was very, um, we kind of spoke about it very broadly. We, you know, Zach knew that he wanted to go away slightly from, a little bit from the previous look of the the previous movie, movies that you know the very highly stylized very desaturated uh, uh look of for example um b v s or or men of steel so he he always said that he wanted to make this a bit more natural, put a little bit more colour into the whole thing, obviously still keep it you know a zack snyder film and um interesting and dark, but more colour. Some, somewhat lighter in tone.
0: And you know, jumping ahead just for a moment because I want to cover some of those issues, but um you know, then in the midst of everything else going on, uh you know, Zack Snyder eventually later on ha- had to step away from the project uh, due to a family tragedy unfortunately. Um and and so veteran Joss Whedon steps in and and of course he wrote the co-wrote the screenplay and he's done these kinds of movies in in the past. Um and he finishes up Directing the film, um, as I understood it. So, uh, you know, I'm curious from the point of view of the cinematographer. Um, you know, what first, what what parts of the film uh, did Joss uh, Whedon step in for, and and what were the challenges you faced as a cinematographer and sort of pivoting to the working style and approach and sensibility of a different guy, while at the same time making sure the movie looks seamless uh, to the audience from the way it was planned out, you know, originally. I
1: mean, obviously, it was, a very, it was a very tragic thing that happened to Zach. Um, where when the actual reshoots happened, I was already on another movie. So I was actually not available to do the movie, uh, to do the reshoots. And um, a couple of weeks after, when I, after I had started the, the other movie I was doing, I actually had a, a personal family incident as well. So I actually stepped away from that movie to, to be a home for my family. You know, when I found out that, um, obviously Zach had to step away and Joss came in, um, and I already knew that I couldn't do it, I, my, uh, second unit DOP, Jean-Philippe Gossard, who's a good friend of mine, who did all the second unit for me on the main shoot, he actually stepped in to, to shoot the reshoots. So from, from that point of view, you know, from a aesthetic point of view, obviously JP, you know, having done the second unit, he knew the style that I was going for. He, you know, we talked a lot throughout our main unit shoot, um, and about all the second unit bits that they were shooting. So, so he knew very well of what I was after of the the lighting style, the composition. So he, you know, he, he would have carried it on with Joss as much as uh, possible.
0: And then who was uh uh supervising the DI later on did you get a chance to be in there with um was it Joss uh or, or Zach, or 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 did your second unit DP handle it for you how did that work uh,
1: Unfortunately again to the to the incident that happened in my family I couldn't I couldn't actually be there um but I have a very good uh relationship with Stefan Sonnenfeld who who was the main colorist on on the final movie? And Stefan's an incredible colorist and, and a great guy. And so we were we were talking constantly. Um, not only while we were shooting. I mean, while we were shooting, you know, I was probably speaking to Stefan maybe once a week, and he was looking at rushes in L.A. And we would we would talk about those rushes, and we would, you know, back go back and forth about the look. So he, as well, knew very well what I was after. Really understood. Um, what I wanted to do and what I saw. Um, so I knew that, you know, the movie would be in good hands. And obviously Stefan had worked with Zach for a number of movies. So they know each other, each other very well. Personally, I would have loved to have been there. You know, it, it was my first big, big film, something that I've worked towards, something that I've been dreaming of doing for a long, long time. So I would have loved to have been there. Not only for the reshoots, but also for the for the color grade, but due to what happened i couldn't and but I knew that it would all be in good hands, so I wasn't worried as such
0: uh, so getting back to you know rolling into production if I understood it right um the movie was shot uh, on thirty five millimeter film uh, primarily using the aeroflex film cameras um <clears throat> you know uh, maybe you could run us through uh, what the des- the decision um to shoot film was all about you know, was that made before you joined the project were, were any digital formats tested and you know what was the reason in, in this digital uh, era you know that you guys thought this movie should be captured on film uh
1: you know that decision was actually made before i came on board uh zach had always shot on film um he's a big fan of, of shooting on film uh so so in my first meeting with him uh, I think at the end of the meeting, he said, and obviously we'll be shooting 35 mil. And, you know, to be honest, I mean, for me, I you know, I was lucky enough in my career when I started um, doing mainly television in the UK. Back then we shot everything on super 16 or, or 35. So I, I had shot a, lot, uh, a lot of film, but I haven't shot film for the last, probably I would say four or five years. So to know that, you know, we're going back on film was, is, is great. You know, I love shooting film and it was somewhat daunting in the beginning. <laughs> I certainly had to look for my light meter. I didn't know where it was. And I also had to make sure that it still worked. But, uh, you know, after a couple of days of testing and, you know, it's like riding a bike, I guess. And it was great. It was, it was just beautiful to shoot on film again.
0: Now, IMDB, which is, you know, not always accurate, um, it did indicate there was an Alexa camera used as as well in the movie. Is that correct? And if so, you know, what applications did the digital camera help help you out for?
1: Uh, That is correct. I was using the Alexa 65 for all the main, the the helicopter stuff. Uh, We did some helicopter shots in London and also Iceland. Uh, So for all of those, we shot on the Alexa 65. I mean, the Alexa is one of my favorite cameras, and you know, for for helicopter stuff, it's just so much easier to shoot uh, digitally. You can, you know, there's no, you don't have to worry about reloading the mags and all of that. It, it's just so much quicker. So, so I decided to go 65 for that, and um, actually, the reshoots were shot on 65.
0: You know, you mentioned you hadn't shot film in, in a few years, and you have to find your light meter and stuff like that again, um, but. Uh, were there any other um, challenges or complications or difficulties when going back to film, you know, and, and particularly on a project of this size, you know, of arranging how the, it's going to be processed and, and, and the dailies process, how, you know, in a timely manner and how all that's going to work out. Or, or like you said, what was it pretty much like falling off a, a bike and everything, you know, that everyone has that down and wired at this point
1: in, in the UK, in London, we obviously used to have some very good labs. Uh, Most of them had closed down over the last few years, but we do have two labs now which are up and running, and we have got quite a few uh, movies shooting on film in the last few years. So, you know, having that process done isn't isn't a problem. And, um, you know, I have to say, over 125 days of shooting, we didn't have... We had hardly any issues shooting film, you know a couple of the usual bits that you get, but nothing uh nothing out of the ordinary so so it was very it was very straightforward
0: How were dailies um, handled uh, you know and viewed and the process uh, you know the workflow for them and also the role that they played um, you know in terms of influencing uh, the day-to-day creative process how big of a help was that to you in other words?
1: It was great. I mean, we, we uh, went to the lab, the, the, the film got sent to the lab to get developed, and then straight to Company 3 in London. And I had an incredible, talented um, Dailies colorist, James Slattery, who works at Company 3. He, uh, he was doing all my rushes. The process would normally be that I, uh, I normally take stills on set quite a lot with my camera, which gives me a very accurate... Exposure and color reproduction of of the film stock, so uh, I would I would take stills throughout the day. I would uh, load them into my computer and um, give them a, a a color grade, you know, a quick one, but you know enough for him to know what I'm after um, from a contrast point of view and color point of view. and um, I would send those stills off to him. And by the time he got into work, I think probably about two or three in the morning, he would have all my stills. He would see my grade, and he would then work our rushes towards my uh, the stills that I've done throughout the day. Uh, and then the rushes would be ready to go out by 7 a.m., 8 a.m. So it was a very straightforward, very straightforward process.
0: And- were you able to view them daily every couple of days and you know in, in a big facility there or how did that work
1: to be honest actually i went to into company 3 a couple of times to watch them on the big screen our shooting schedule was pretty full on and i was prepping after wrap uh, most nights so i trusted my high definition tv to to watch the rushes most of the time uh, and then when I did have the time on weekends or so, I would go in and watch them in the cinema. And we did watch them. I mean, there's a cinema in leaston in the Warner Brothers Studios, obviously, where um, you know I went in probably one, once once a week or so to to just run through the week stuff.
0: And if I'm correct, you shot the movie um, using Kodak Vision 3 stock, I, I guess a, a daytime choice, a nighttime choice. Um, you know, maybe you explain what stocks you chose, why they were chosen. I understand we don't have the same wide range of choices maybe that in, in the past, but, but the choices mm-hmm. you made and, and, and how um, they were useful to this material creatively. You know, for
1: me, uh, I knew that obviously because of the amount of visual effects in a movie like this, you know, I, w- I wanted to... Provide them with a with a nice thick negative, and with a film stock that's just versatile and works on many levels. The 500 uh, Vision 3 is is a great film stock which is so versatile. It's got a lovely color and um, obviously also great speed. So I just wanted to keep it very very simple. You know, I, I wanted to create a look in the lighting and the atmosphere that we're creating. Um, and I wanted the film stock just to be very straightforward and uh, and do do exactly that i I didn't want to experiment on on stocks, so I just used the five hundred t for for most of the stuff and then the two fifty daylight and the fifty daylight for exteriors depending on on the weather and those are the stocks that I've used for many many years beforehand when we were still shooting film, and you know I was always very comfortable with those stocks and I knew they were matching well, so.
0: And there were some very cool um, uh, slow motion sequences in the movie. I know Zach likes to do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, some cool stuff with Wonder Woman and 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 the Flash characters, my, my two favorites personally. Maybe you could address a little bit about shooting some of those sequences. There, there's, you know, a couple where where the Flash, surrounded by lightning, is getting ready to take off, and we slow him down and. You know to see his point of view, and, and then Wonder Woman, um, you know, protecting a, a group of civilians and um, resisting uh, or, or turning away bullets from an automatic weapon. You know that, that kind of stuff. You know, why was the stock good for that, and what was the approach to uh, to doing that?
1: Yeah, that was a really, I mean, that was a very fun sequence uh, to shoot. I really enjoyed that a lot. I mean, obviously, the you know the slow mo thing is something that Zach has done a lot, and he's very good at that. I mean, he's such a visionary uh, director and he's also a really, really nice guy. So, you know, it, from the start, I knew that we would be doing a lot of slow mo. So, obviously, that's where the 500 ASA speed helps. Um, and all, I mean, those sequences were, were just so much fun to shoot because I, I pretty much started working with the visual effects guys uh, straight away. As soon as we started, as soon as I started prep, you know, I, it was Patrick Tatopoulos, the designer, and John Dejade. DJ, um, his visual effects supervisor, and we just got into working straight away because I knew that all of those effects that we're going to do, you know, I wanted to uh, create a really good base for the visual effects, um, on set. So I knew that there would be a lot of interactive lighting. We started talking about how to shoot Flash and how to, to make him look super fast. The tricky bit with that scene was between Superman and and the flash because obviously Superman is very fast, but the flash is faster. So how do you differentiate between the two? Um, So that was a really fun process. And it was, you know, most of it was done with, you know, various film speeds, uh, actors moving at various speeds and um, a lot of interactive lighting to help, especially the flash with his movement.
0: Now, we got, um, you know, you mentioned visual effects. Uh, I don't know how many shots there are in, in the movie. I mean, we, we have warriors flying people, people who run at super speed, people who are actually more machine than people. We have buzzing alien creatures, um, an alien warlord, etc. Um, all that kind of stuff. Do you even... Uh, know how many shots are in it and you know what was that collaboration like between your department and the visual effects team and dj's group and in terms of getting the plates they needed blue screen green screen you know the right lighting uh handing off some of it to your second unit guys and making sure you do other parts of it you know how did that all work out
1: you know it all worked out great i mean i again it was one of those things dj and i met and we we just kind of got on straight away, we hit it off and we, you know, started talking creatively about how to do all of this. And uh, you know, it was one of the best experiences I've had. I mean, DJ said to me, Look, you know, I want you to do come up with the most crazy ideas that you have to make this work uh on set, and then I'm gonna to you know, work with you and towards you in the in, in the in the BFX world um later. But he wanted it to be driven from us on set. So, you know, that was great for me, you know, to come up with these, you know, various ideas, um, which was really good fun. And then, uh, so yeah, we, we just had a really great collaborative relationship. And, you know, I mean, h- him and his team, they're just super talented guys. Um, they've worked with Zach for a long time. So they knew Zach uh, very well. And uh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, you know, things like the Aquaman underwater, Sequences, for example. Um, once I kind of figured out of how I would like to do it, I then tested it and then I showed it to Zach and to DJ. And you know, they were saying, "Okay, this is cool. We can, you know, this this is cool. And what else can we do?" And what, what, once we sort of, once I knew this is the way to go, then you know, I could work on the detail more and elaborate on the detail. And uh, from then on, it was easy to 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 give our second unit guys. You know, I would sit with um, JP and watch. The russians and say look you know we, we were using those lights to create this effect or you know we were doing this so that was pretty straightforward
0: and am i correct this was uh for perf 1.85 to 1 aspect ratio not not an anamorphic film is that is that right
1: that's correct we were shooting one to one eight five, but we were shooting open gate so we were shooting the full four three frame we were shooting the full 35 uh, mil frame and we were protecting for the 4.3 as well, for the full frame. Yeah, that was a decision Zach said to me very early on in the beginning that he's been shooting anamorphic for so long and he would like to try something else. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in the beginning I thought, well, I kind of assumed, I guess, from even beforehand, I, I guess I kind of assumed that this film would be shot on anamorphic. And um, I was quite looking forward to that. And, um, and then thought, well, that's an interesting, that, that was something I didn't expect him to say. And um, it took me a little while to get my head around it, but um, I actually really like the aspect ratio. And um, I think it's interesting to have a movie like this uh, in 185. It doesn't happen too often, you know. So. And it also enabled me to use um, the Leica lenses, which I really wanted to use shooting spherical. So, you know, it, it was something I didn't expect, but it was something that, looking back on it, I'm really happy with.
0: That's the like uh, Sea uh, Lens series. Uh, that you yes, use. correct. Yeah. Because um, you know, I was thinking about that issue too. You know, you have an ensemble cast, a team of, of superheroes, and um, there's a lot going on in, in these frames. You know, what's when you're not shooting that anamorphic, which I think most of these superhero movies tend to. Um, you know, what I- are, what are some of the tricks for properly? Fitting them in the frame and showing the scope and, and and all that and getting the wide shot when you need it uh, and all that sort of thing.
1: Well, you know that was the funny thing that initially I kind of I thought, well, you've got six, you know, six heroes, and obviously you'd think the widescreen format would be perfect for that. But then thinking about it afterwards and sort of getting my head around it and starting testing, I thought, you know, this is really interesting because. If you're shooting spherical and you want to get, you know, six superheroes into frame, you just have to go wider, and it opens up your frame. It opens up your image. You get, you gain so much more space on top or the bottom, wherever you, you know, wherever your framing is. And all these, all these superheroes, they're big characters, and they're also fighting a big villain. So, and they're always in big spaces, metropolis or central city. They're, they're big cities. So it suddenly became to me, it was almost like thinking of it in, in widescreen would almost hand them in a little bit too much. You would almost, you know, push them into this, into this frame. Whereas with the six, whereas with the one 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 eight five, it opens up the world around them. And, um, that, that was like the thing that I really enjoyed, uh, when we then started shooting is, it's experimenting with that and exploring that.
0: And, uh, what about uh your camera movement for this uh, a lot of crane um uh, dolly uh, you know was there much handheld uh, much steady cam you know what was sort of the philosophy behind that uh
1: we we went away from the handheld quite a bit the camera was pretty controlled the camera was pretty controlled most of the time, and it was all about pushing in or pulling out into characters creating a movement but um having the camera very solid and um, very assured in that, in that sense it came from, I mean, Zach and I talked through it and and it just felt, I mean, to be honest, I think we just both, every time we did a scene, we said, yeah, we should do this on the dolly or we should do this on the crane. We, it just felt like a natural decision that we didn't even talk about that much.
0: And similarly, um, the lighting aesthetic or or approach. I mean, obviously there's certain things that are required for visual effects and all that, but I I just mean the, the the philosophy. I mean, obviously there's dark elements uh, here in this story. I mean, we we do have an apocalyptic dude trying to, you know, remake the earth for his evil master. And and there's a lot of crime and difficulties and things going on around, uh, around the world. But on the other hand, uh, it did seem a little brighter um, and a little more, uh, Uh, you know, naturally lit uh, to me than, than maybe the previous Superman movie and, and some of these superhero movies that I've seen.
1: Yeah. You know, I hope so. I mean, I, you know, I tend to, I like naturalistic lighting and I know that this isn't a naturalistic film because obviously it's a superhero film with, you know, a big CG villain, but I like a natural lighting style and, you know, it's a dark story and, 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 the comics are dark, but there's still color in it. So I, I like the fact that there is color. You know, I like color a lot. And um, I, for me, it was mainly about maintaining some darkness and creating a really nice contrast in the faces and within the frame. But, you know, I was fully aware of that. Zach and one and of Brothers both wanted it to have a slightly lighter style than, than the previous one. So it kind of felt... To me, it kind of felt right when we were shooting it. And it was also a combination with the production design. You know, I get inspired a lot by the sets, for example. Patrick Tatopoulos built some really amazing sets. You know, big big sets with a lot of incredible detail. And um, it, it was something, you know, I don't think after the initial chat with Zach and him saying, what he wanted i don't think i've ever i ever actually really thought about it that much anymore i just went ahead with my gut feeling of what i think was right and no one ever told me that was wrong
0: and then uh, i i was also taken that there were at least a couple times where you seemed to um have no problem taking the, the liberty to to be a little bit uh stylized in particular situations there's one uh in the in a cornfield, when a certain important character returns to his house in his hometown, it had almost a, a field of dreams kind of vibe to it, with that golden light and and all that over the cornfield. Um, how did you light and and shoot that scene? And, and were there other opportunities to do you know similar types of things, have some fun in that regard uh, elsewhere in the movie?
1: Yeah, I mean that's what you know. I mean, obviously it is still a it's 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 a blockbuster movie and it's a Zack Snyder film and. So there's going to be those moments. And, and those moments were great fun to shoot. I mean, that scene, that particular scene that you're talking about, that was all lit with tungsten lights. We were shooting that in the UK in an actual cornfield that we, uh, we planted the corn. I think while we were still in prep, we planted the corn in a field so that it would be readily grown by the time we got to the shoot there um, half a year later. And that was all lit with tungsten lights just to give it that slightly warmer touch. Um, obviously, the, the Themyscira, um the history lesson uh, of when the uh, Amazons are fighting uh, the bad guy um, for the first time. That was a great scene for, 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 for stylizing visually, uh, you know, making it look different to, to the rest of the film. That was also very enjoyable. Shoot, and I, you know, that was like a very typical Zack Snyder action sequence, which was uh, great fun, great fun to do.
0: And some of the Aquaman stuff, uh, I mean, was it done in tanks or, or whatever? I, I, I was curious whether some of that was interactive or, you know, LED stuff, how, how, how you did that to give that vibe that they're deep under the ocean and yet performing.
1: Yeah, no, so so we uh, we decided very early on that because we had so much Aquaman's underwater to shoot, they would become very it would be it would be in, in in almost impossible to shoot all of that underwater so all of that stuff with aquaman was shot um, dry for wet so it was all shot on green screen above water with some and it was actually very very simple it was a couple of very simple rigs that we used to to move the actors around um and to give them a sort of swimming feel. Um I use a lot of rock and roll lights. I experimented quite a long time, tested quite a long time what to of how to light that. And um I ended up using rock and roll lights um that are then programmed with certain movement and uh and I used certain colors to to, to give it a feel that the light was breaking the water surface and then dispersing as it comes lower and lower into the ocean. So that was really good fun uh, to to come up with that.
0: And were was there any need at any point um, for your you and your your gaff running Ch- Chuck Finch um, in his group, um, uh, you know, to create any really giant or cool or unusual or tripped out lighting rigs, or 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 was it pretty much standard, uh, you know, off the shelf at this point for that kind of work?
1: Uh, I'm sure we could have done some really. Uh, extravagant lighting wigs. But you know, for me, it's all about simplicity, I think. I like I like to do things very simply um and hopefully effectively. Um but I like simplicity and you know Chuck Finch is an amazing gaffer and he, we've become very good friends. I'm so glad that he uh was on this movie with me. Um and you know he's done a lot of stuff, Chuck. So so we we were always throwing around ideas, but in the end the simple ideas always were the ones that sort of came through, and and we both agreed that that would be the right way to go. So, you know, we had some big lighting setups, obviously because you know our sets our sets were big and the scenes were some of the scenes were very big, but um, it was incredibly simple, really.
0: And things like um like the lightning around Flash as he you know enters the speed force and things like that was that mainly done later with digital or, or, or was some of that flashing light done on set how, you know how, how did that break down
1: yeah that was all done on set we so i mean everything that you see is motivated by interactive lighting on on set i mean i had interactive lighting for cyborgs uh i i had interactive lighting for wonder woman's uh, lasso i had interactive lighting for flashes speed force so we had we were using LED sky panels for that, that we, when he was entering Speed Force, we, you know, we would shoot the scene normally with him and do the dialogue. And then we would, I would put those LED lights around him in, in, in various positions. Uh, and then we would shoot another pass with those, LED, uh, with those LED lights going off. Uh, and then we would do various clean passes and, and, and whatnot. But yeah, all the light, all the lighting that you see, um, is is motivated by something that we did on set
0: and you mentioned earlier that the uh you know the digital new with stefan sonnenfeld at company three was you know the, the in-person stuff at the time was largely done by others after you had to step away for your other responsibilities later on but um from a philosophical point of view uh you know what was the approach uh, to the di in terms of um you know achieving color and all that what was it as much as possible done in camera and then he's sort of tweaking and massaging around the edges uh, or is the DI actually central to, you know, finishing your cinematography? I mean, I know obviously it plays a big role with the visual effects, but, but just in general, you know, what was the approach to that?
1: Uh, I mean, to be honest, yes. I mean, DI is you know, is one of the most important things for any cinematographer, I think, to, to finish the movie in, in the way that you had intended. But I mean, I was trying to get as much of the look that I wanted i I tried to get that on on set, and um you know, knowing that knowing the amount of visual effects in this movie, I obviously knew that certain things would change, but personally for me, I mean I always try no matter what i do to to create as much of that look on set as possible
0: as we wind up here, um you know, I was also just sort of big picture curious. Um, how your uh, Game of Thrones experience helped you to be prepared and ready in a show like this. I mean, like we said earlier, it's a much bigger, um, more uh, complex uh, project than than any single broadcast episode, even one uh, as high level as Game of Thrones. But, you know, you're going to London, you're going to Iceland, uh, you're all over L.A., you're on stages at Warner's. Um, You know, is, is it possible to compare these experiences and... See how one influenced or, or helped you on on, on the other, um, or are they really just such different creatures?
1: Yeah, they are different creatures. I would say Game of Thrones is definitely harder. Yeah, I mean they're just they're very different. They're very they're very different creatures. But in the end, you know, I, my approach is the same on any 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 project. I think, which is hopefully the reason why I wasn't that phased when I started working on this one. You know, and in the end, I just had a lot of fun. You know, I enjoyed every day being on set with zach was you know just so much fun and i learned a lot from him uh you know he's such a talented guy and um i had a lot of my crew around me which was great you know like you mentioned chuck finch was a great gaffer and he had a great team and i had my focus puller jamie phillips who's been with me for 10 years now um he came with me on on the b camera that i was operating so you know it was just a i just had a a blast every day
0: when you say game of thrones is harder you know what do you mean by that do you mean in terms of not having the resources and the budget that you would have on something like this
1: well i mean you know yeah i mean game of thrones has a lot of money and game of thrones is a very big big show certainly it's definitely more film than it is tv i guess but it is still a tv show so and and, and game of thrones i guess maybe it's also the episodes that i get in game of thrones which are, seem to be the battle episodes you know they're, they're very tricky, very elaborate, very difficult episodes to shoot. And for like for example, battle, battle of the Bastards, I think we had 16 days to shoot. You know that battle on, on a movie, you would have probably had 40 days to shoot that battle. So it, you know it's it's from that point of view just it, it it's a little bit it's it's different but um enjoyable nonetheless on both.
0: And did coming out of this project, I mean, d- does this experience make you uh uh, you know, a better cinematographer generally? And are, are there some lessons you're going to take back to Game of Thrones and the other projects that you're on?
1: Uh, not necessarily lessons that I would, but I mean, certainly, yes. You know, I mean, I I learned a lot on that film. It was a great experience. And I learned something every day on, 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 on Justice League, shooting Justice League. And I, th- I think any job makes you grow in some way. And I think as long as you learn something and make mistakes and you take the positive things away from those i think that's something worth doing so definitely learned a lot from that film
0: well it's certainly uh, an impressive effort i think it's going to probably be a very big success and uh, uh you know we want to thank you um fabian for taking the time today to join us on the american cinematographer podcast
1: thank you very much pleasure to uh have spoken to you
0: this has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.